morning. My name is Linda Rosenberry, and I welcome you to Blossom Valley Bible Church. We are thankful that we can spend time together again in God's Word, even if we're apart. At this current time, the county restrictions are preventing us from meeting in person. We are closely monitoring the situation for any changes that allow us to come together again. Blossom Valley Bible Church will continue with online YouTube messages until those changes come about. We miss everyone dearly, and we pray for you in your absence. And with that in mind, if you have a specific need that you need prayer for, please feel free to share this with us using the content portion, contact portion of our website. This is a private space only seen by the elders. There is good news, though, for our church. Back in November, it was announced that Jim Swanson was being considered to be our pastor. Moving forward. And we are happy to announce that Jim has formally agreed and has been hired as pastor of Blossom Valley Bible Church. We are grateful that God has provided for his church and pray that he will continue to use Jim in his service. So remember, church family, you are loved, you are missed, you are prayed for. We can't wait to see you again. And may I encourage you this week before we go, that if there's someone in the church that you haven't seen in a while, would you pick up that phone and just call them and say hi and let them know that they're loved and missed as well? God bless you and have a great week. Hello, everyone. It's good to be back with you and to share God's word. I hope that you have all had a, a wonderful week and that you are staying safe, healthy, and joyful. Uh, before we begin, just let me pray. Heavenly Father, you are mighty and, and you are holy, and we would be lost without your mercy and your grace. Send your spirit to us now as, as we look at your holy scriptures and, and guide us on the path to having more of you. Open our hearts and, and minds and prepare us for all that you have for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, today we are going to be starting on a study through the book of John. And and, and before we, we start into the actual text, I thought it would be uh, helpful to cover some basic information. See, John is one of the Gospels. And, and so a good question to ask at this point is, what is a gospel? Well, the primary definition of gospel is the teaching and revelation of Jesus Christ. The, the word itself, the word gospel, has a very interesting history. Originally, the word was pronounced godspel, and it was the Old English translation of the Greek word euangelion, which meant good news. Well, over time, the, the vowel sound was shortened. Uh, goad became God. And then somewhere in the transition from Old English to Middle English, the D was dropped. So it went from gospel to gospel. Well, regardless of, of how it's spelled or, or pronounced, the gospel has always referred to the good news of Jesus Christ. Sometime in the second century, that original word for gospel, it started to be used in reference to the first four books of the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. 
these are referred to as the canonical gospels. All four of the books share the same basic outline. Jesus begins his public ministry in conjunction with John the Baptist. He calls the disciples, he teaches, preaches, he confronts the Pharisees, and he dies on the cross and is raised from the dead. Matthew, uh, Mark, and Luke are, are termed the synoptic gospels because they present very similar accounts of the life of Jesus. Synoptic is from the Greek word synopsis, which means seeing together. And I'm sure that most of us are familiar with how stories about Jesus are are shared between the first three Gospels. For example, we can read about the birth of Jesus in both Matthew and Luke, or or the transfiguration of Jesus. Uh, That's mentioned in all three of those Gospels. Well, by comparison, John presents a significantly different picture of Jesus' career. He omits any mention of his ancestry, birth, and childhood, his his baptism, temptation, transfiguration. I mean, John's chronology and arrangement of the incidents, they're also strikingly different. Uh, He clearly describes the the passage of three years in Jesus' ministry in contrast to the, the single year of the synoptic gospels. He places the cleansing at the temple, or the cleansing of the temple at the beginning rather than at the end. Uh, and the Last Supper is located on the day before Passover rather than on Passover as it is in the other Gospels. Ninety percent of the material found in John's Gospel is found nowhere else in Scripture. And that's a quality that I believe makes it a, a most worthy subject for our study, offering a unique and an enlightening look into the life and the ministry of Jesus. The fact that that John was the last of the four Gospels to be written, perhaps as late as 85 AD, that probably has a lot to do with the narrative structure and the content. John's John's writing from beginning to end, it, it presupposes a a level of sophistication and maturity on the part of the reader with regards to things like Christian symbolism, practices, and beliefs. They they have a, a, allusions to baptism, the Lord's Supper, persecution, martyrdom. That would have only made sense to people who were uh, on the inside, so to speak. And although it certainly has the power to be used as an evangelistic tool, the Gospel of John uh, finds its primary purpose in making the past career of Jesus a present-day reality for the later generation of believers, the ones who have, quote, not seen yet have believed. John wants his readers to come to the conclusion that Jesus is in fact the Christ, the Messiah that was promised by the scriptures, and by coming to that conclusion, they will have life in his name. As we work our way through the gospel, we are going to do so with four primary objectives in mind. Number one, to see the identity of Jesus. John was was not just interested in making sure that people understood that Jesus was God. He wanted them to know that Jesus is the God of the scriptures. 
from the very first chapter, his gospel is drenched in, in Old Testament allusions and, and references. There is creation language. There are images and fulfillments of the sacrificial system and festivals. Jesus will declare that he is one with the great I am. And there will be allusions to Ezekiel and Isaiah and Zechariah. During the crucifixion and the resurrection account, there will be references to the Garden of Eden. And ultimately, there's the claim that the entirety of the Old Testament bears witness to Jesus. John makes it abundantly clear throughout his gospel that Jesus is the promised one of Israel. He is the prophet who will bring the very words of God to his people. He is the king who will wear a crown and bring a new kingdom. He is the great high priest who will not merely bring a lamb to sacrifice. He is the priest who will become the lamb. The second reason for our study is to see the power of Jesus. As we make our way through his gospel, John will will make us witnesses to the power of Jesus. As John says in the very last verse of his book, now there are many other things that Jesus did. Were every one of them to be written, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. That's a lot of signs. <laughs> Yet John chose to only include seven in his gospel. Seven signs that were carefully chosen to display the power of Christ over creation, uh, his power to create from nothing, and his power to heal that, that culminates in the resurrection of his beloved friend, Lazarus. With these signs, John will paint a powerful picture of our Lord. A Lord who, miracle after miracle, he stands up to the greatest enemies and with a mere thought or, or word, he brings them into obedience with his will. The third reason is to see the mission of Jesus. John's gospel also focuses on the clarity and the simplicity of Jesus' mission. Jesus was, was sent by God to accomplish his Father's will. He, he was sent so that people would believe in him and that none of these people would be lost. In a very real sense, Jesus was the first Christian missionary. He was sent by the Father in, into a foreign land with a message of salvation for anyone who would believe. Jesus' identity as the sent one of God, it, it permeates the language of John's gospel and reveals to us how Jesus viewed his life and ministry. And, and this is important. It is important for us to understand that Jesus did not view his life as being primarily theological or anthropological, although it was not any, any less than that. Instead, we must recognize and appreciate that Jesus came to accomplish a mission. His substitutionary sacrifice and victorious resurrection. He, he was sent to accomplish a mission and to tell people about that now accomplished mission. Jesus came to save and he came to evangelize. And the final reason is to see the mission of Jesus' disciples. 
Toward the end of of John's Gospel, uh, chapter 20, verse 21 to be exact, the resurrected Jesus, he, he looks into the eyes of his disciples and he tells them, as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And that can be found in John 20, 21. This is huge, people. There has been, and there still is, a lot of confusion as to, as to what the church should be doing and, and what her mission is, but, but Jesus lays it out very clearly. We are sent, just as he was, to, to spread his gospel so that people will believe in him and that by believing in, in him will find life in his name. It's not that complicated. It, just think about the, the first evangelistic call that the earliest followers of Jesus used. Come and see. People encountered Jesus, and then they went off, and they brought others back to, back to see him. These people were not trained theologians or, or missionary program graduates. The woman at the well, who we're going to read about in chapter 4, she had no formal training. She simply met Jesus and she wanted others to do the same. As Christians, there is a remarkable simplicity to our mission. We encounter Jesus and, and then we go and bring others to do the same, uh, praying that the Holy Spirit will bring them to faith and that they'll find joy in the fullest in his precious name. It's my prayer, and I want it to be yours as well, that our study through this wonderfully unique gospel, I pray that it, that it brings a new dimension to our relationship with Jesus. I, I couldn't think of a better way to start a new year than to do so with a deeper understanding of, of who our Lord was and is. Thanks to John, we have been given a unique and intimate look into the life and the ministry of our Savior. And, and I am looking forward to, to leading us on the journey through this amazing book. John begins his gospel with an 18-verse section that, that is known as the prologue. In the prologue, in contrast to the birth accounts that we would find in Matthew and Luke, John presents Jesus in a radically different light. Instead of focusing on his earthly genealogy, John provides us with the divine lineage of Jesus. John's concept of the Word, it presents Jesus as the eternal, pre-existent, one-of-a-kind Son of God. The redemptive plan of the Father, which included the, the giving of the law through Moses, uh, his dwelling with the people in the tabernacle and the temple, and his sending of, of John the Baptist, that divine plan for salvation culminated in the arrival of Jesus Christ. An arrival that John describes in five of the most mind-blowing words that have ever been written. And the word became flesh. So, without further ado, let's read our passage for today. It's found in the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him 
was not anything made that was made. In the beginning. Where have we heard that before? Depending on what translation uh, we're using, the phrase in the beginning appears between five to 20 times in the Bible. However, it is only used twice as the opening words of a book in Genesis 1 and in the Gospel of John. John's use of the phrase is a deliberate move to, to turn our attentions to the past. See, anyone familiar with the Holy Scriptures would instantly recognize the phrase as the opening words in Genesis. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. But John's beginning is even further back from that beginning, the beginning that is mentioned in Genesis. John is referring to a time before the creation of the world, before God spoke the world into being. He was, he existed, and he was not alone. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. John will, uh, later on in verse 14, he, he's going to identify the Word as Jesus, but for now, he simply wants to locate the Word, the Word's existence in eternity, in eternity past, with God. That, that, that term, the word, it, re, it refers to divine self-expression or speech, and it figures prominently throughout the Old Testament. God's word is powerful and effective. Remember the old commercial for that investment term, that E.F. Hutton? For those of you who might not remember, they had a tagline that went like, uh, when E.F. When e. Hutton talks, People listen. With with all due respect to, to E.F. Hutton, you don't have anything on God. When God speaks, things come into being. An investment firm, well, they might be able to change the world, but the word of God can literally make the world. Genesis 1-3. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. In Genesis 1-9, And God said, Let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place, and let the dry land appear. And it was so. In Psalm 33, verse 6, By the word of the Lord the heavens were made, and by the breath of his mouth all their hosts. Through his speech, God not only creates, he also relates. God personally speaks to his people like he does to Abram in Genesis 17.4. Behold, my covenant is with you and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. Or when he spoke to Moses in Genesis 3 verse 6. I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Or, when he spoke to literally anyone who was there to hear it, in Matthew 3, verse 17, when the voice of the Lord was heard to say, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. 
by his emphasis on the creational and the relational power of the word of God, John is is setting the stage for that, that big reveal as to who the word is that will happen a little bit later on in verse 14. You know, spoiler alert, it's Jesus. Uh, but he is also deliberately co-opting a familiar concept that, that was prevalent at that time. See, uh, for hundreds of years, in both Hebrew and Greek metaphysics, there was the belief of an impersonal force, a power of reason that, that gave order to the universe. The Hebrews and the Greeks, they both referred to this mysterious power as logos, which translates as the word. John is letting the world know that this impersonal force that has been around forever, that personal or that force resides with the one true God. The word is the reason for the, the plural pronoun found in, in Genesis 1.26, when God says, let us make man in our image after our likeness. After firmly establishing that God was not alone when he created the world, John delivers another bombshell in the form of the most amazing equivalency statement of all time. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. How is that possible? First, we have been asked to believe that that God was not alone, and, and and now you're telling us that that God and the Word are the are the same person. Can you get a sense of the of the confusion that the original readers mu- must have felt when they read that line? From our perspective, as believers who recognize and accept the doctrine of the Trinity, God in in three persons, for us. Uh, even though it's hard to, to wrap our minds around it, we accept it and, and we move on. But that was not the case for, for many years after the gospel was written. The nature of the Trinity as we know it today, it did not become official church doctrine until 381 AD, roughly 300 years after John had written the gospel. And that's not to say that the the issue is anything but settled today. Right now, there are over 40 different Christian denominations, at least they claim to be Christian, over 40 denominations that do not recognize the doctrine of the Trinity. For example, the Jehovah's Witnesses deny the existence of the Trinity to the point where they, they have created their own translation of the Bible. It's called the New World Translation, and it deliberately alters the wording of John 1.1 to support their belief. In the New World Translation, that passage is rendered as, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was a God. A God. Lowercase g. Even though there is more than ample evidence to prove translational error, the Jehovah's Witnesses continue to abide in the false belief about the nature of Jesus Christ. In verse 2, he was in the beginning with God. 
That serves as, as further evidence as to the identity of the word. By attaching the personal masculine pronoun, he, to the word, John is reinforcing the information that will be made abundantly clear in verse 14, when the word made flesh is Jesus. In verse 3, John elaborates on an aspect of Christ that that is often underrepresented when we, when we talk about him. And, and that's the notion of him being the creator. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. And we're very familiar with re- referring to, to him as our Lord and, and Savior, and, and that's absolutely right and, and proper to do that. But John is making it explicitly clear that nothing has been or will be made apart from Jesus. This assertion is perfectly in line with what is presented in other scriptures, that God carried out his creative works through the activity of his son. For example, when the Apostle Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 8, 6, Yet for us there is one God, the Father, from whom are all things and for whom we exist, and one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom are all things and through whom we exist. And then in Colossians 1, verse 16, For by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And lastly, by the writer of Hebrews, in in Hebrews 1, verses 1 and 2, Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. Jesus is a creator. With the exception of God himself, everything in the universe was created through him. And this totally disproves any notions that Jesus was a created being. If Jesus were a created being, as some religions have claimed, that would imply that God would have had to create Jesus by himself. And that's an idea that John totally discredits with his statement, uh, with with his statement that without him was not anything made that was made. As I mentioned at, at the very start of this message, John has provided us with a very unique perspective on the life and the ministry of Jesus. Right out of the gate, we, we are presented with a, a Jesus that is bigger than any of us can possibly imagine. A Jesus that, that was at the right hand of God from the very beginning, helping to create everything in the universe from the most distant galaxies to the smallest atoms in our body. The fingerprints of Jesus have been left on each and every one. John considered this aspect to be so fundamental that he places it first in his gospel. And by doing so, he lets us know that our understanding of Jesus needs to have a very specific starting point beyond 
any other description that we have of Jesus, uh, that he was a great teacher, that, that he was a compassionate and a loving friend, that, that he was an obedient son to his earthly mother. All of that is, is absolutely true, of course, but one unassailable fact needs to be at the very foundation of our faith, and that is that Jesus is God. The word was and is God. Our, our Lord and Savior was not a God. He is God. And as such, he possesses all of the attributes of God. Jesus is eternal. Just like John said, in the beginning was the word. And the verb was in that statement is in what they call the imperfect tense which indicates a, a continuous, ongoing existence. When the time-space of our, of our universe came into being, Jesus was there, and he had been there. Jesus is self-existent. As the creator of all things, Christ himself must be uncreated. God created everything through Jesus, and to propose that, that Jesus was created would be in opposition to that statement and, and imply that God acted alone, which the scriptures clearly maintain is a false premise. Jesus is omnipresent. He is everywhere all of the time. In Matthew 18.20, Jesus promised his disciples that for where two or three are, are gathered in my name, there am I among them. The only way that, that such a statement would be true would be if Jesus was able to be everywhere at once. And since we know that Jesus is incapable of speaking anything but the truth, we know for certain that he is omnipresent. Jesus is all-knowing or omniscient. Several passages in Scripture attest to this attribute. For example, in Luke 5.4, Jesus knew where the fish were, and, and he directed Simon to, to drop the nets. In John 11, verse 14, we learn that, that Jesus knew from a considerable distance that Lazarus had died. And in Matthew 21, he knew uh, certain details would be in place, specifically a, a donkey and, and her colt. He knew that, that those details would be in place before he directed the disciples to them. Jesus is all-powerful. He created the entire universe, and he sustains it by his own power. Listen to how, how the Apostle Paul puts it in Colossians 1. Verse 17, and he, referring to Jesus, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. In Hebrew, in Hebrews 1, verse 3, he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power the word of his power. How cool is that? <laughs> the word upholds the universe by his own word. 
During his earthly ministry, Jesus will demonstrate that, that he had power over nature, over physical diseases, over demonic spirits, and even over death. Jesus is sovereign. He is seated at the, the right hand of the Father, and as it is written in 1 Peter 3.22, with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to him. Jesus Christ, the eternal word of God, will arrive clothed in a majestic robe that will proclaim him King of kings and Lord of lords, and he will make all things new. Jesus is sinless. Jesus was the ultimate fulfillment of the sacrificial system. The perfect lamb who became the perfect sacrifice. This attribute was absolutely necessary for God's redemptive plan. It was only through a a perfect sacrifice that atonement for our sins and the propitiation of God's divine wrath could be accomplished. As we read in 2 Corinthians 5, for our sake he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That is who our Savior is. That is the power and the majesty that we are privileged to call Lord. The world that we live in It's suffering, and it has always suffered. That's not going to change anytime soon. But in the midst of of the trials and the strife, we have a reason to rejoice, people. We have Jesus, and we will always have Jesus. If Jesus has found you and, and called you his own, you can be assured that that he wants you to know him just as he knows you. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we are so grateful for your presence in our lives. Be with us as we seek to know you more and to live lives that bring honor and glory to your name. Protect us from the evils of this world and help us to keep our eyes fixed upon the truth of your word. In your name we pray. Amen. As always, may the Lord continue to bless you and to keep you and to be gracious unto each and every one of you. May he turn his face and make it shine upon you and grant you his peace. In the name of the Father and in the Son and in the Holy Spirit. Amen. Have a great week. May the Lord bring all of you opportunities to share the good news. Stay safe, stay healthy, and stay joyful. I love you all. Look forward to seeing you next week. Bye. Dear family, wow, that's kind of a neat thing to say. We are all one in the Lord. We all know that. You know, we're living in a very unusual time. Without fixing our eyes on Jesus, we have no hope. But in saying that, on the way here this morning, I heard a song on the radio, uh, How Great Thou Art, a version that we sang when I was in choir 
long time ago. And it just blessed my socks off. And to think how great our God is, it's fabulous. His glory will be revealed. On January 15, 2009, U.S. Airways Flight 1549 on a flight from New York to Charlotte, North Carolina, struck and flocked a bird shortly after takeoff, losing all engine power. Unable to get back to the airport for an emergency landing, Chesley Sullenberger and Jeffrey Skiles glided the plane to a ditching in the Hudson River off of Midtown, Midtown Manhattan, and all 155 people aboard made it alive, and, and only a few got hurt. You know, we love to hear stories about heroes and what they did to make a difference in our little slice of society. And it is not true that we would long to be a hero someday, saving a life or keeping a tragedy from happening. And what would it take? Every one of us has a hero inside of us, longing to take on the world, to rid the city of bad guys, rescuing someone from the depths of the deep or just being someone reminding another of their importance. What heroes do you think of when it comes to having what it takes? Everyone has a hero, and for some of us, superheroes. Someone who will save the city from a giant tidal wave by freezing it with his laser eyes or, in, in, or something like that, that kind of hero. But were you aware that the Bible writes about many heroes throughout time? We all know of Joshua, who asked God to hold the sun still in the sky until he defeated his enemy. We know of Samson, who carried off the city gates, and Elijah, who called down fire from heaven. Hebrews chapter 11 mentions all kinds of heroes. They're heroes of faith. Every one of them had one thing in common, and that, that was their faith. And it wasn't especially their faith that made them so great but who they had their faith in. For now, I wish to speak of the champion of heroes, the, the hero of heroes, and that is the person of Jesus Christ, which takes us back to Hebrews chapter 2. But we do see Jesus, who was made lower than the angels for a little while, now crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death, so that by the grace of God he may taste death for everyone. In bringing many sons and daughters to glory, it was fitting that God, for whom, through whom all things exist, should make a pioneer of their salvation, perfect through what he suffered. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in the humanity, so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds all people under the power of death, that is the devil, and free those, all of their lives, who were held in slavery by the fear of death. So, just try to imagine Jesus wanting to spend time with us. Wow. Why would he want, <laughs> why he would want to is the question of the ages. But only his love can answer that. Are you willing to give him your soul after what he paid for, by, for in your behalf? He went to the very depths of separation from his father, only to be resurrected, just to save you and include you in his kingdom. What an incredible concept. When we take the elements of communion, think of the greatness of his glory being set aside, humiliating and humbling himself 
the very Son of God eternal, becoming the greatest servant ever for us. He took on the curses and the vile hatred of this world had against him for the values that he proclaimed. He took on our confessed sins and forgave them so that we can be right with God. He remained a servant for us to the point of being beaten, treated like a worthless criminal, falsely accused for things that he never did. None of them were true. He stayed true all the way to the cross for us, you and me, knowing that when this ordeal was over, we would be that joy that enabled him to go the distance. He believed you and I were worth the price. Ought our life be lived, reflect our belief in him? Well, now's a good time to tell him that. The greatest person in this, in this whole universe wants to know and hear from you. Just for a minute, it's awkward for me to do this, but I'm going to be quiet for a minute. And just take about a minute and tell him. Speak to him in a prayer right now, knowing that you're talking to the creator of the whole universe who desires your relationship. The elements of our communion. Jesus basically said, here's some bread, common. At that time it was unleavened, on the table. He broke it and gave it to all the disciples. And he said, take, eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. He broke himself. He humbled himself for us. And all Jesus asked us to do is remember him as we take it. And he took one of the cups over the wine and says, I'm going to give a new meaning to this wine. This wine at that time was grape juice. I don't know what it was. I wasn't there. But this grape juice represented his blood. It represented a whole true, true meaning. And it says, I want you to share this and take this and, re and know that as you take this, remember me and for what I'm about to do at that time. Let's take it together. And I would like to conclude in prayer. Lord, thank you so much. God, you love us, Lord. You know us, our sins, and things that we're filled with. Lord, you know our hearts. You know us so intimately. At the same time, Lord, you still love us. Lord, those are things that we'll never understand. But Lord, thank you for taking the effort to show your love for us and help us to live our life, Lord, to reflect that glory back to you. Help us to make a difference in this sad world that we live in, Lord, for all the things that are negative, for all the politics, for all of the, the diseases and everything that are happening, Lord. We don't know why they're happening, but we do know you are in control. You're allowing it. Help us to rest in you, Lord. Help us to understand you're far bigger than the problems that we can dream up. Thank you, Lord, for loving us above everything else and for giving your life for us. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.